0: This is the Commission Church Online. Welcome to our podcast. We want to be a church who brings heaven on earth through the Word of God and the love of Christ. I pray this week's message blesses you. Uh, We have been in a series in the Gospel according to Matthew. And we are starting chapter number 10 this morning. Uh, I know that uh, we have been in 28 weeks, and today is week number 29, that we will be in the gospel according to Matthew. It's been an amazing journey. It's been an amazing uh, series that God has been teaching, uh, teaching us different principles of the Word of God. Last, last week, we touched on the subject of how Jesus commissions us and he tells us the importance of being commissioned, about the importance of being equipped. Uh, And he challenges and says, man, the harvest is plenty. But he says, the workers are what? Few. He says, the workers are few. And I challenged you last week about how you and I have the responsibility and the duty to step up to be one of those workers, to say, coach, put me in, throw me into this responsibility that is ahead of me. I want to go and I want to do what you are asking me to do. Now, I want to debunk some myths or some misunderstandings that people may have about this calling. This is not a calling that is just meant for a a pastor or a missionary that is going to Uganda or Sri Lanka or one of those places. This is not a calling very specific to a worship leader or a minister of the God, it doesn't matter what this, the, the, the age group you think that this uh, calling refers to, but I want to debunk that myth by saying that God is saying that the workers are all of us. It's just not one group of people inside the church. And as, he, as we go to Matthew chapter 10, Jesus has reminded them that the harvest is plenty, and then he starts equipping them. By equipping, I mean not training them because the training has already happened. And we'll talk about that in just a few minutes. But right now is going to be the process where he's going to separate two groups of people. The groups of people that were following him all this while. We've we've read enough verses where we said, where we heard, and people followed Jesus. And people thronged Jesus. And people sought after Jesus. People went to homes. People followed him wherever he went. They were followers. There were people that were keenly interested in the ministry of Jesus. And then there were disciples of Jesus, people that actually said, I'm gonna elevate myself from just following him to actually sitting at his feet to receive from him. There were followers, there were disciples, and then we're gonna be introduced in chapter chapter number 10 to this group called the apostles, and we'll go to that in just a second. But Jesus is sending the 12, and before they go, before he calls these apostles, quote, unquote, He's giving them some missionary training. He's giving them some evangelistic training. Now, why is this important to us as a church pastor? Because we are called to be those missionaries. We are called to be apostles in our own respect and in our own regards. We're going to learn about that this morning And in Matthew chapter 10 and verse one. We learn and I'm going to read two verses and then we'll go from there. In Matthew chapter 10 verse one, the Bible says, and he called to him his 12 disciples. And gave them authority over every unclean spirit to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. Right off the bat, the first thing that Jesus commissions them to do is go and be agents of spiritual warfare. We as Christians need to understand that we are called into the battlefield. When the Bible says the harvest is, is, is waiting for us to come, it's not really talking about these beautiful fields that, that we're waiting to go and we're, we're, we're going to be gleaning from. It's a battlefield. Someone say battlefield. Like, do you know that the world out there is a battlefield for the Christian? We're going to talk about that today, but he says, man, I'm going to give you authority. He says, you're going out to the harvest, but here's what I'm going to give you. Not tools. Not a rake, not a sword, not any gardening tools. I'm going to equip you with something else. And he says, I'm going to give you authority. Authority over what? Unclean spirits. He's talking about stuff that we don't talk about in church. He's talking about things that the church is really hush-hush about. He's talking about things that the church is shy to talk about nowadays. He's talking about stuff that the church is like, man, let's leave that at the door. Let's talk about just making sure that we're all here together. We attend our life groups where we have all peace and quiet. Like, like we, 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 we live in harmony with one. No, no, no. Jesus is like, man, there are unclean spirits. We need to go cast them out. That's, he's, he's talking about that right off the bat. He said over unclean spirits. He said to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. He doesn't shy away from saying there is disease, there is affliction, and that is why I have come. I have come to set people free. Can we normalize in the church the importance of freedom, the importance of healing, the importance of prayer, the importance of deliverance? The moment people hear deliverance, they're like freaking out. Oh man, manifestation. We're going to have like demons manifest. That was only for that day. No, no, no. It is still the case. Jesus is still in the business of setting people free. Come on somebody. Jesus is still in the business of sending people and saying, I don't want you to be cute Christians. I don't want you to be hobby Christians. I don't want Commissioned Church to be a hobby church. I am commissioning you to go forth and set people free. Do we have the ability to look at people and say, man, there's something going on in your life and God has sent me to your life to set free some bondages that the enemy is tying you down with. I got to go on. And then the Bible says, the names of the 12 apostles are these. Hold on there. Till this moment, Jesus has been calling them disciples. And all of a sudden, Jesus has separated them and said, The disciples have now become the apostles. You know, it's in John chapter 8, Jesus tells the Jews who believed in him, If you hold on to my teaching, you are really my disciples. What he means is, You're a learner, you're a student. And all this while, these 12 guys, along with other people, have been disciples. Disciples are followers and learners. They're the ones that Jesus equips. There are disciples in this place. There are people that are disciplined to the learning of the Word of God. There are so many disciples that we could probably learn about in the Bible, male and female. The 12 that Jesus picks to be his apostles are people that were, that were, that were male to, to, you know, in this aspect. But if you look, there were disciples in Mary. There were disciples in the different women that followed Jesus, provided for his ministry. One of the gospel writers, John Mark, was one of the younger disciples who really didn't make the cut to be an apostle, but he was still a disciple of Jesus Christ see this is important for our consideration this is important that we understand that there is a big difference between disciples and apostles I don't want us to be satisfied in that we are not called to be disciples or we are not called to be apostles I believe in my heart that that comes from how much of commitment that you put into your walk with Jesus Christ The amount of commitment that you put into your walk with Christ, how much you stick with him, how much you ride with him, is where Jesus will stop and say, I think you're ready, Eric, to be elevated from a position of disciple. You've spent enough time with me to where I trust you to candle a mantle of being an apostle. So what then is an apostle? An apostle was specifically chosen by Jesus to spread the gospel after his death and after his resurrection. So it's not just that I'm a disciple. I'm disciplined to the study of the word. I'm disciplined to the hearing of the word. I'm disciplined to praying and being a part of the community. This was one step ahead. One step further, they said, not just that, but we're also going to take it upon us, the mandate of taking the gospel to wherever we go. I'm talking to apostles in your workplaces. I'm talking to apostles that are not afraid to go up to somebody in Walmart when the Holy Spirit prompts you and go and actually ask them, hey, can I pray for you? Like I feel like the Holy Spirit, is. I, I'm sorry to spook you out with the word spirit, but man, the Holy Spirit is like prompting me. God is prompting me to, to come up to you and say, there's something you're going through. And would, I, would you be okay if I pray for you? Chances are not many people will say no. But the prompting that you have to get out of your comfort zone of being a disciple to an apostle of saying, man, I am going to choose to step out and actually spread the gospel. An apostle is a messenger or the meaning of the word in Greek is this word, the one who is sent. And verse number two, it lists out 12 disciples for the very first time. This is our first introduction to the 12 men. In the New Testament, there are four different lists of these disciples that are mentioned. In Matthew, Mark, Luke, and Acts. There were three groups of four men. Generally, when all of these men are mentioned in different places. The leaders of these men were Peter, Philip, and James. There were common things among them. Peter was always mentioned first among all the disciples. Peter was always first. James and John were always together. Then there was Judas that was always named last. And you know it was for good reason. And then the Bible goes on to list the 12 men. And the Bible says Peter. Here was the first guy. Jesus talks about this man more than he talks about anybody else. But Jesus actually changes his name from Simon to Peter. You might ask me why, Pastor? Because Simon means one who listens. Some of you laughed. You know why you laughed? Because that was really not uh, who uh, Simon really was. It was just his name, right? Like some of us, I ask you, hey, what's the meaning of your name? Grace. And I'm like, really? <laughs> Is it really Grace? So it was one of those things. Jesus looked at Simon and was like, yeah, Peter, I think Peter, you're, you're a hard head, a rock. I think, let, let's go with that because I can use that uh, for something bigger I, I joke but then uh, Peter wasn't a listener really he wasn't he wasn't a person that just went with the crowd he wasn't a person that just said yes to everything he was impulsive he was a doer he wanted to be a moor Jesus tells the disciples that he's going to Jerusalem and he's going to be arrested and he's going to die and you know what Peter says Peter says no not under my watch and Jesus looks at him and says dude get on my way he calls him Satan he says Satan get thee behind me Here's a man that wasn't a listener, he jumps out of the boat. Here's a man when the transfiguration is taking place and this amazing time between Jesus and Elijah. And, 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 and Peter feels the urge to say, Hey, do you remember that? He's like, It's good to be here. You remember the Garden of Gethsemane? Oh, bro, this, this guy was not a listener. He picked out his sword and he was ready to chop somebody off. Thankfully, he was not a swordsman; he was a fisherman, or they, or he would have got his neck. He got his ear instead. He wasn't a listener; he was a doer. He was this man that denied Jesus three times. He was not a listener. And then we have Andrew. Andrew means manliness. Where's Andrew? He didn't change his name. Andrew was the one that. Was reluctant to trust in Jesus when he was trying to feed 5,000 men. He was like, man, I don't know, Jesus. Like, we have a few bread and we have a few fish, but what use is this going to be? We have Andrews in our midst. People that know that we have a little, but we don't know that it could be of any use because we don't know the power of Jesus. And then there's James and John, the sons of Zebedee, the sons of thunder. That's what Jesus called them. Why? Because one day, these boys asked Jesus for permission to call fire down from heaven and nuke a Samaritan village because they didn't receive them. So they come up to Jesus and was like, hey, you have power, right? Can we nuke this village? And Jesus like, dude, what are you talking about? He's like, go sit down somewhere. They were edgier than the rest of them. Like It was like one of them like Marvel and the other one like DC. And they were like, man, we just want to do something all the time. John goes on to write the gospel according to John, he writes 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, he goes on to write Revelation, and James would then become the first martyr. And then we have Philip, who is slow to comprehend faith, he was the accountant. He was the one that ran all the numbers and was like, ah Lord Jesus, this doesn't add up. He was the one that was a skeptic that this didn't, it didn't make sense to him, And, and he was like, Lord, I know that we had this, and this, and this, and I know you told us to follow you, but all these numbers just don't make sense. He was a thinker. There was Bartholomew. A lot of people don't know about this man, but he was also called Nathaniel. Remember this dude that Philip goes up to and says, man, the the, the Messiah has come. And he was the first one to doubt Jesus when he looks and says, what are you talking about? Jesus of Nazareth? Can anything good come from that land? It's the same dude we're talking about. And then we have Thomas, doubting Thomas. He's the one that said, show me to believe it. He's the one that said, "Pixar it didn't happen. He was the one that just, just did not want to believe. He wanted to, he wanted Jesus to prove it. When Jesus said, man, Lazarus is sleeping. We got to go. The disciples basically said, man, they want to kill you in Judea. You should not be going there, Jesus. And Thomas looks at him and says, let's go to Judea so that we may die with him. Anybody negative like Thomas is? Thomas was loyal, though. He said, man, I'm going to die with Jesus. And then there was Matthew, the converted IRS agent, that writes this particular gospel. And then there's James, the son of Alphaeus. Or the Bible calls him James the less. The younger, the younger that he was, he was younger in age and than the brother of John. He was... You know, there was so much going on with all these disciples. There's Labius that was also called Thaddeus. There's not much that's written about him. And then there's Simon the Canaanite. Or this guy was the, the, the fanatical guy, the, the, the fanatical nationalist, also called the, the Zealot. The Zealots were a part of the, this religious political party, a religious group that believed that they should change their culture by, involving, by getting involved in the political realm. Here were guys that were freedom fighters that were trained to kill Roman soldiers and anybody in Roman authority. And here was this man coexisting with Matthew who happened to work with the Roman government. And here's Jesus calling both these guys under one roof and saying, you both are going to be my, oh, come on somebody. You see how God can work? Like we don't need to have everything in common for us to serve Jesus Christ. Like we can be from different backgrounds. My skin color doesn't need to match with your skin color. It doesn't need to, like, I'm, I'm telling you, you might have your flaws. You might have your shortcomings. But it's in that that Jesus looks at and says, I am Jesus. I can use anything and everything for the kingdom. Come on, somebody. And then lastly, there was Judas Iscariot, the guy who betrays Jesus. But all of them made it. They were all apostles. Apostles. In Matthew chapter 10 from verse 5 to 42, there are these instructions or this training sessions that Jesus takes them through. We had a training session yesterday for all the life group leaders and we, we sat down for like a couple of hours and we just talked about the things we should do and the things we shouldn't do and we equipped people and we said, hey, this is the things, these are the things that you keep in mind. These are the things that you should, you know, you do when this happens and there was a lot of equipping that happened. So think about it as a training session that Jesus has with his disciples. In the previous chapter, we ended with saying, The harvest is plenty, but the workers are few. And Jesus ends the chapter by saying, Therefore pray. So they all get together and say, Lord, would you, God, would you just send some workers into the field? I believe that the harvest is, Peter's praying, James is praying, Thaddeus is praying, Bartholomew is praying, all of them are praying. And they get up from the prayer mat and they're like, Lord, we're done praying. And Jesus is like, Good, now you go. God has answered prayers. You are the ones that God is raising to go. And they're like, Us? And in verse number 5, the Bible says, These twelve Jesus sent out, instructing them, Go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. A lot of people ask me, Pastor, didn't Jesus like the, the Samaritans? Didn't he like the Gentiles? Aren't those people the ones that needed to know the gospel more than anything else? No, Jesus didn't hate the Samaritans. For those of y'all who don't know, the Samaritans were a group of people that were a, a mix and match, kind of the rut, uh, the group that was the rut, okay? They, they, the Jewish people went and married Gentiles, and, and the offspring that came out of that were who they called the Samaritan people. The Jews hated the Samaritans. Everybody hated the Samaritans. The Samaritans loved the Samaritans, and Jesus loved the Samaritans. So the disciple, Jesus was like, man, I don't hate them. In fact, he looked, stood by the well, and he ministered to a woman who was in desperate need of a touch. She happened to be Samaritan. The disciples like, what you doing, dude? And he was like, I'm, I'm going to love on them. But in his instruction, he says, don't go to the Samaritans. In fact, the feeding of the 5,000, historians will say, a majority of those people that Jesus fed were all Samar- Samaritans. But why then did Jesus say that? I believe that it was because the disciples were not yet ready for the challenges of cl- cross-cultural ministry. I just talked to you about that vengeful response. The two brothers, the sons of thunder, they didn't get their way. And they come up to Jesus and like, Jesus, strike them down with light. Come on, Am I talking to someone like, burn them down. They were not ready for that. Oh, they didn't like me. So many of us are like that, man. If we don't like a group of people that God is asking us to share and love and God's like, man, this is who I'm sending you to. But if he knows that you have a predisposition in your heart to not love on them and call thunder and lightning and fire and brimstone on them, Jesus would be like, don't go there right now. Like, like, that's not where you need to be. I'm gonna send Jason there. Jason can speak their language. But Sonia, I feel like, no, you're not going to go and do a good job there. Am I talking to somebody? Like sometimes we wonder, Lord, why Why aren't you using me in this area? It's not because he doesn't like you. It's not because he doesn't like them. He just believes that that's not the season for you to be there ministering to that person. Hmm. Some of us are not ready for the atheist and we're not ready for the agnostic. We're not ready for the skeptic. And so many of us are sitting here and you like, Lord, send me to the atheist. And, and you're like, and, and God's like, man, I don't think you're ready for that. I don't think you're ready to get into Samaritan territory. I don't think you're ready for the Gentiles as yet. This is dude, Paul, that's going to come soon. You're, you guys are going to hate him, but he's the one that I'm going. It's the weirdos. It's the crazy people that you look at and like, man, that guy's tatted up. Look at that dude. He's like, he wears all colorful clothes. Watch how God uses that dude to reach the kingdom of, am I talking to somebody? He's the one that came up to me last week and said, pastor, I want to start an evangelism ministry. Because God can use some Pauls who's been through a rough batch, who has been ostracized and beaten down and has seen the ugly side of life and who can speak the Gentile language and say, I will put a desire in his heart that you can't have in your heart, Ashish, because you grew up pampered in the pews of the church and you know what church is all about and you know, Ashish, how to be cute in church. But this dude, on the other hand, he has seen the ugly side. So let me send him there to the So Paul gets opposition. You know who he gets a lot of opposition from when he starts his ministry? From these dudes. He's like, you're doing what we couldn't do stop being jealous that you don't have a ministry that somebody else does but God has equipped you with something so special and sometimes it's to edify it's to encourage the people right here with you it's to encourage people in your Judea come on am I talking to somebody it's to encourage people in your own family it's to minister to that uncle that is lost it is to minister to that cousin who is in sin oh we don't want to go there brother because that's just family we just don't no 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 but he's like go go to your own people Because he's like, I leave the 99 to go after the one. He looks at them and says, there is the lost. There is the sheep that are lost. I want you to go back to them. In verse number seven, the Bible says, and proclaim as you go saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast the demons. You received without paying, give without pay. Dude, I love all the stuff we do. I love Top Golf. I love Taco Tuesday. I love putting out a table and candles and, and, and putting a table out and the woman having a, a beautiful dinner. I love all of that. Don't get me wrong. We initiate all of that. But that's not what Jesus is talking about. He's like, are your church services where people can come and be set free from the pangs of injustice, from demonic attacks, from get healing for the the sickness and disease that they're going through? That is what needs to challenge us as a church body. We need to see the tangible, the manifest presence of God inside of our church buildings. And unless and until we don't see that, come on. He says, go heal the sick, y'all. Go raise the dead. Spend some money. Go places. Go search for mission fields where you can cleanse lepers. Cast out demons you received without paying. Give without pay. He's saying, Jesus is coming soon. Stop putting a price. The the church should do this. You know what Jesus is trying to say? The kingdom is not something that they should ever sell. I vowed in my ministry... A long time ago, that I will never put a price tag on the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel is free. I am broken sometimes. And I'm just, gonna, can we have an honest conversations? Just very honest conversations. When pastor friends of mine are people that bear the gospel, or have the ability to be able to, to, to carry this word. And to be able to serve as the wisdom and the knowledge that God has given them, the ability that they have to be able to take it to the masses, but yet they put a price tag on it and say, unless and until you can afford me, I'm not going to come and take your pulpit. I said it. I'm sorry. You know what hurts me is the amount of people that say, man, I'm not, I'm not going to come and serve as Sunday because I'm not getting paid to do what I-. What?! Bro, what? Like, like, seriously? Like, paid to do the kingdom work? Like, Jesus is like, what are you talking about? Freely you got, freely you give. Me serving God is not out of obligation. My me serving God is not because I can get something back. Me serving God is not because I'm here saying, God, when are you going to pay me back? Me serving God is looking at the cross and saying, You gave it all, and nothing I do, nothing I say, nothing I can ever do can even measure up to that point. Come on, somebody. Lord, you gave freely, and my life is yours. Not once. When people ask me, Pastor, can you come and preach at my my church or can you come and speak to my youth? Not once would I look at them and say, not unless you do this and this and this and this. Why? Because the gospel is free. I'm done with my rant. You ready to go on? Verse 9. Acquire no gold, nor silver, nor copper for your belts, no bag for your journey, nor two tunics, nor sandals, nor staff, for the laborer deserves his food Jesus is saying, trust God for your support. For some of us, you're not abandoning your jobs. For some of us, you're probably going to be... Just, just prone to be called today as I'm speaking this word you're like man I have this confirmation that I've been waiting waiting for and and Lord I've just been praying and asking if I need to do ministry if you sought the face of the Lord and this is what you need to do maybe God is giving you a confirmation do not worry where your supply is going to come from do not worry where your bills are going to be paid from I got you I am your purse that's the promise that he gave the Levites and that's the promise he's giving you and for some other people, he's looking at you and saying, don't worry what's going to, 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 to be harmed in the process of you picking up the cross or picking up the gospel or picking up the word. Oh, brother, but my kids might suffer. Or my family, my, my marriage might suffer. It's probably suffering in the first place and you don't know about it. Because if you use all of those things as a crutch, it's probably already a crutch. It's already an issue that you need to ask Jesus to heal. I grew up in a family where my parents were pastors. And and again, I'm not tooting my horn and I'm not putting myself on a pedestal. But I want to speak speak life over somebody. There are pastors sitting in this place. Pastor A.U. George is sitting in this place. And he will probably attest to this as well. He raised two beautiful children that serve in this church. That are successful in their careers. But I know the work that goes into being a pastor and being in ministry. Where you put everything aside. And you put everything on the back burner. And you focus on God and saying God you will supply my every need and Lord even if it's me having to sacrifice that time and this time and this and that and that and all the luxuries that I didn't get to enjoy I can look back and I can say my parents invested in the right thing because of that I'm not lost I chose to follow the kingdom of God and I will always do it because that's the investment that went into it You know, some people hesitate to do evangelism because they don't think that they have enough knowledge, resources, or even emotional strength. But Here's what I want you to remember. As we move ahead in God's will, we will not lack any good thing. Hudson Taylor, this famous missionary, once said, he said, God will, God, um, God will, God will in his way. Do all things in in, in a way that, that you will not lack God's support. Everything that he does in your life will be in such a way that he will fund your every operation. The will of God will never lead you where the grace of God cannot keep you. In verse 11, the Bible says, "And Whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. As you enter the house, greet it. And if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. If it's not worthy, let, it, let your peace return to you. The first thing he wants you to understand is some of them will accept your message. And the next thing he wants you to understand is some of them won't. That's just normally how it's going to be. Would you ask God for wisdom to lead you to people and communities and groups where you can find a fit with you and your message? Some places will be suitable for some evangelists and some places won't realize that many times people reject the message because of the messenger. Not really because of the message and they just have some preconceived notions and and preconceived images in their head and you're like, you know what, I'm not going to waste my time and that's what Jesus is saying over here. Many social, cultural, educational points of resonance are necessary before people will welcome you and your message. Because what is the, the English saying go? Birds of the same feather will flock together. That's why if you see a lot of missionaries, they will go to their mission fields and they will work through local evangelists. If you've ever been on a mission trip, you know what I'm talking about. Because they will be more successful in what they're about to do when they involve local messengers that are credible and they're trusted because of their language, their social, cultural, educational identification with their audience. And he says, man, if that's not the crowd that God is sending you to, let your peace return to you. What does that mean? That's an idiom, right? Uh, in, in America, we have. I, I learned when, when I first started dating Sonia, I learned a lot of idioms that, that you guys use here in America. It was, we were, we were having an argument and I was being a little uh, crazy and uh, a little might be a understatement right there, but um, I, 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 I think I said something rude and uh, condescending to her and she looked at me and said, uh, uh, you just think that you're all that in a bag of chips. I'm like, what did you call me? Like, did you call me Chips? I was like, I was offended. Then she had to break it down to me, and she's like, you just think you're special. It's like, why don't you just say that? Like, like. what he's saying is this, greet them, and if they are unwelcoming, then leave without regret. Can I give you a newsflash? Not everyone wants to hear about Jesus. I'm just being very honest with you, not everyone, and that's who Jesus is talking about, and he's saying if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town, truly I say to you, it will be more bearable in the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town, some won't accept the message, don't take rejection personally. The biggest hindrance for people to go and spread the gospel is because somebody said no to them at some point in time and you're really hurt by it. It has hurt every part of your being and you're like, I'm never going to do this ever again. And God's like, dust, 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 dust it off. Just dust it off. Do not internalize criticism as many people are reacting out of their conviction of their own sins. It's not because of you. Sometimes it's inwardly. They're they're just struggling with things and they're not ready to make the decision. You planted a seed. Plant the seed. Walk away. That's all that's needed. Because results are not our ultimate responsibility. Like ultimately, results are not our responsibility. Am I talking to you? Like... If you go into, saying, go into it saying, man, I'm going to do the sinner's prayer today. He's going to be saved. I'm going to baptize him tomorrow. He's going to start speaking in tongues the day after. Oh, come on. You're going to be disappointed. Stop going into it like that. That's not always how it works. There might have been a possibility that worked at some point in time. But give those who reject you over to the Lord and He is fully able to deal with them in His own time and His own way. Jesus is the Savior. You're the messenger. I'm going to say that again. Jesus is the Savior. You're not the Savior. Verse 16. Behold, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. What is he saying? Wise as serpents? Pastor, I thought serpents were the devil. He's basically saying, man, expect opposition. Like expect opposition. He's saying use wisdom. There are two things that he's comparing yourself to and asking yourself to, to, to compare yourself to when, when, when serpents are involved, snakes are involved. It's like, man, they're vile. Like, use wisdom. This means gathering information that helps you learn about the person or persons you're trying to influence for Christ. Learn a little more about them. Get to know their culture. Get to know what, what they like, what they don't like. Get to know their language and then approaching that person or, or, or people in a way that, that you know will gain a hearing. That's what he says. Be a serpent. Use tact. You might have all the right information about Jesus, but if you can't communicate it in a way that communicates sensitivity, you'll push people away, making it harder for them in the future to recognize the truth. Be sensitive. As much as Jesus was straightforward, he didn't hurt people and and wound them and, and target their hearts and rip them apart to the point where there was no coming back. He spoke to the sin, but he drew the sinner in. This is important for us to understand. You know, when we get excited about something, we tend to talk a lot about it, and we're con- convinced that everyone else should be as excited as we are. Isn't that how, how it usually is? But He says, "Innocent, be innocent as doves. At first, you know, th- you, you look at it at first glance it almost looks like Jesus is telling people be sneaky or something something like that after all it's isn't that what like shrewd means like when the serpent is concerned but then he comes back and he says be like innocent as doves like Jesus advice about about how you face the dangers of preaching is to saying be humble be harmless be tame are people looking at you and saying man you mean no harm In verse 17, the Bible says, beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues, and you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake, to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. Y'all, this is getting serious. He's looking at them and saying, man, if you want to run away from this call right now, run away, because this is not going to be easy. He's not promising them a bed of roses. He's saying, you are going to be flogged. Jesus said, be on guard, man, because people are going to get you. Do you know, church, that persecution is real? If you decide to be an apostle, an evangelist, if you decide to say, man, I am a disciple, but I want to go a step further and be an apostle, the moment you say yes to that calling, somebody or somewhere, you are going to be persecuted. I got two amens, so that's Okay. And by persecution, you're like, man, as long as I stay away from China and one of those commie countries and as long as I stay away from like North India and as long as I stay away from like the Middle East, I'm fine. But I'm talking to Americans today. Can we have a conversation? Like we, we, like, like we aren't fed to lions as yet, but there's no conceivable doubt that Christians are facing hostility and ill treatment for their faith here in the United States. You could be slandered and mocked for your faith. There are people here that probably have been slandered or mocked for your faith. Do you know that a majority of Christians that are slandered and mocked for their faith are in high school campuses? Get those stats. Or some of y'all that have probably passed over for a promotion at your consulting firm because you refused to fly the pride flag from your cup holder during June or add pronouns to your signature. Or you're like, he went there, yep. I mean, it's anything and everything from suffering social ostracization and getting put on trains and being taken to death camps. Like, imagine how many states forced churches to shut down in the middle of a pandemic when they encouraged bars and strip clubs to be open. Come on! Am I talking to some like this is crazy to me? And and, and for years, private Christian business owners have been dragged to court. Whether it's be the Jack Phillips or or the Baronelle Studsman's or Coach John Kennedy or the IRS catching targeting Christian nonprofits or crisis pregnancy centers, many of them run by Christians that are under attack because they promote life rather than death. Jesus says, beware and you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. He says, you're going to face persecution. You're going to face persecution. He says, when they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say. For, for for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it's not not you who speak, but the spirit of your father speaking to you. Didn't we have this conversation like two weeks ago? We were talking about this and man, don't be afraid. God gives you the utterance. I've been in so many meetings and sessions with people where I'm like, Lord, I have no idea what I'm going to tell this person. I said, Holy Spirit, just speak. When you and I take that step of faith and obedience to look at God, man, I pray and I believe that God will give you words to speak that is beyond your understanding. Worship team, you guys can ready, get ready to come up and help me. And the Bible says this, do not be afraid. You know, fear is probably one of the main reasons that people are afraid to share the gospel. And Jesus ends that and saying, do not be afraid. You're afraid of what people might say or think. It says, don't be afraid. Can I tell you something? The fear of God is a great antidote for the fear of men. Verse 21, brother will deliver brother over to death and father his child and children will rise against parents and have them put to death and you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved when they persecute you in one town, flee to the next for for truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the son of man comes. Jesus is like, man, you want to be an evangelist? You want to be an apostle? Opposition is going to come from places that you least expected. Do you know that Jesus' own brothers did not like him? It was like, bro, we grew up together. I ain't about to call you God. Understandably. Jesus is like your own mother and your father. You know, do you know there are people in this church right now that are sitting on chairs, probably right next to you that you probably don't know about, that they have been ostracized by their family for saying yes to Jesus. There are people watching online today. I've not taken their permission, so I'm not gonna use any names. There are people that are att- that, that attend our church. There are people that are watching online right now. Their families have abandoned them. Said, man, they're there physically, or they're with them, but but they're like, man, we just have nothing to do with you. Or they're just so mad because they got baptized, or they said yes to Jesus. Jesus, is like, that's the cost. That is the cost of following me. You might lose your friends, you might lose your social circles, you might lose your circle of influence, but that does not mean that I'm going to leave you or forsake you. And God is looking at us and saying, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. But he's looking at some of us and saying, the harvest is plenty for the workers of you. Thank you for listening. We love bringing you the word on so many different platforms. We are so thankful for what God is doing in and through us. We'd love for you to subscribe so you don't miss out. And don't forget to share this message if it has blessed you.